Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining us from the center, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Tim Bontemps. Hello, everybody. The new 76ers are available to play in this game tonight. Is that correct? Uh, except for Nick Batum, who's out with uh, some personal reasons. I think he'll be back soon, but he's not playing today. But uh, the rest of the uh, rest of the guys, Kenny Martin Jr., Robert Covington, Marcus Morris, all should be in the lineup tonight in some form for the Sixers against. Toronto. I've never seen him called Kenyon Martin Jr. more than I have the last few days. He's KJ Martin, as far as I know. But yeah, he's been Kenyon Martin Jr. Sort of goes back and I've seen it different ways over the course of his career. He goes back and forth. But yeah, KJ Martin, however you want to call him, he'll be in the lineup tonight for for the Sixers. Well, I've never spoken to him. And when I do, I'm going to ask him the way way he prefers it. It's not going to say LeBron James Jr. It's going to say Bronny James, right? When he comes to the league. You would think. Yeah, you would think. All right. Joining us from Dallas, Texas. No one's taking his name. Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. Home of the undefeated Dallas Mavericks. That that juggernaut, baby. One of two undefeated teams in the NBA. I'll tell you what. When you beat the Bulls, you've accomplished something. <laughs> Just like when you beat those Memphis Grizzlies, which the Mavericks have also done. <laughs> as well as everybody else who's played the Grizzlies. That's right. That's true. Well, so I know we're very early here. Some teams have only played three games like the 76ers, who Bontemps will see tonight, who they're hosting the Raptors. Some teams have played five. Obviously, it's very early, but uh, we do podcasts every couple of days here. So what are we going to do? Wait until December? Uh, let's take a look at some teams that are struggling out of the gate. Now, um, on one hand, you would look at the first two weeks of the season and say it's a single-digit percentage of the season. We've seen many teams have bad starts. Famously, McMahon, didn't they 67-win uh, Mavericks, the the Dirk MVP year? Didn't they start 1-4? and four? I uh, think They, they started... 60- they started 0-4, won 67 games, and then got bounced by the We Believe Warriors in the first round. So that was a hell of a ride. They start and finish, not so good. But the point is, just because you get off to a bad start doesn't mean it. That said, there's also a lot of data that says who you are 15, 20 games into the season is kind of who you are. And we're getting into a chunk of that. So evaluate it what you will. But I'm going to say this. No matter how you want to slice it, the Memphis Grizzlies sitting there at 0-5, DFL in terms of offense to this point. Um, Not good. 0-5 and not trending in the right direction, McMahon. I know you spent some time there. Uh, Obviously, they're without Ja. Obviously, without Steven Adams. Um, But this is not what the Grizzlies were hoping for. And that is a flashing red light, what's going on in Memphis. Yeah, I mean, they're the last winless team in the league after uh, Dylan Brooks, our old buddy in the Houston Rockets, got a win last night. And look, there's obvious reasons why they're struggling so much. I mean, you call them excuses, whatever they are. They don't have the face of their franchise. Guess what? They don't have John Morant for the next 20 games at least. They don't have their starting center. Guess what? They don't have Steven Adams for the rest of the season. They don't have his backup. Guess what? They don't have Brandon Clark for several months, if not the rest of the season, as he comes back from an Achilles. Luke Kennard's been out, okay. Santi Aldama's been out, you know, okay. Uh, Now Derek Rose is out, a guy who they need to play significant minutes for at least the next 20 games. Uh, Veteran with knee problems is out with knee soreness. I mean, and man, it's not just that they've lost. Like, 
dude, this was a team that was down 25 points in the second half to the Washington Wizards. That That's hard to do. They were down, I think, 114 points to the Utah Jazz last night. Um, that's not exactly uh, a, a juggernaut in the Western Conference. They're not just losing games. In, in a couple cases, it is a like just a really difficult to watch butt whooping. Um, and you know, frankly, they basically have three starters and just a bunch of guys that they're putting out there right now. I'll do respect to Zaire Williams. He has not proven that he's a a quality rotation player, much less a starter. He's their starting small forward right now. I'll do respect to Xavier Tillman Sr. He's their third center who is forced into a starting role right now. And offensively, they're essentially playing three on five in a lot of situations, and it shows. Well, well, they have- what was their record last year when Ja didn't play? Do you remember the top of the top of your head? It was, it was uh, very it was, good. No, two years ago it was twenty and four. Two years ago it was phenomenal. Last year, I, I want to say eleven and ten. I might be off again. It, it was a, a, mm, okay. a tick above five hundred. But you know, listen, Tyus Jones was a huge. Well, that's what I was getting to. So they, Tyus Jones, when Ja didn't play, Tyus Jones was a weapon. Very clearly, the top backup point guard in the league. Mm-hmm. He all he, with, with few exceptions, always held down the fort. And I understand Bontemps, the Marcus Smart trade. They wanted to get a leader in their locker room. They, they That's what they went for. And they gave up Tyus Jones and a first-round pick to get it done. And that may end up working out. Um, two first-round picks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Was it two first? Because they, they yeah, were one of their own and the Golden State pick. Yeah. Oh. Tyus Jones wow. and two firsts for Marcus Smart. By the way, Jackson fact checks 20 and, 20 and 5 two years ago, 11 and 10 last year. By the way, 11 and 10 sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) They would take 11 and 10 the next one. Listen, if they're a game above 500 when Jock comes back, they'd be doing backflips. They better get out of that. means they've had a nice turnaround. Yes, exactly. Well, so Marcus Smart's production so far hasn't been bad. He shot Mm -hmm. the ball pretty well. Not great from three-point range. Um, He's averaging 16 points and six assists. It's not like they haven't been getting that production, but that formula they had with Tyus Jones worked. Um, and look, I, obviously they have injuries, Bontemps, but you know, moving off of Tyus Jones when you knew Ja was going to miss twenty five games was a was a move, was a risk, and so far it's not been working out. Well, look, uh, I mean, Memphis is DFL in offensive rating, one hundred two point five points per hundred possessions. They're DFL in net rating. Uh, minus, I believe, 11 and a half, 11.2. By the way, real quick, <laughs> I know it's only been five games. The Celtics, um, who are far and away been the best team in the NBA so far, their net rating is plus 20. The Grizzlies' net rating is minus 11. So, like, over um, 100 possessions, the Celtics functionally are operating as 30 points better than the Grizzlies. 30 points. That's like what would happen if you had like an NBA team play like a Mac school. I mean, like that spread over a five game span is shocking. I'm sorry. Or if you had the Utah Jazz play the Memphis Grizzlies. That's right. That's right. So, you know, you, you look at that and like those numbers are awfully bad. 
when you look at five game over five games. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, like, yes, they, you know, the Tyus Jones for Marcus Smart deal, you can analyze that if you want. If they hadn't made that trade and they had Tyus Jones instead of Marcus Smart, I don't think this thing looks a lot different. And I think more than anything, you look at the way Memphis has operated the past several years, and we've given Zach Kleiman and those guys a lot of praise, deservedly so, for how they built this team. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, they like you said, McMahon, they've had Santi Aldama out and Luke Kennard's been in and out with a concussion. But, like, they're playing Jake LaRavia, who was a first-round pick. They're playing Zaire Williams, who was a first-round pick they traded up for. They're playing David Roddy, who was another first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Like, they drafted a lot of these guys. They mm-hmm. drafted Xavier Tillman high in the second round. Like, these are all guys that they've drafted and developed, and they've gotten credit for having these guys on the team. And at the end of the day, these guys are, right now, not good enough. And the main core guys they have, Jaron Jackson Jr. has not had a good start to the season. Like, no. they've they've not been good enough. Like, not that they were – nobody thought they were going to go 22-3 and three in these 25 games. But also, no one thought they were going to be 0-5, getting smoked by the Wizards, getting smoked by the Jazz. Like, it's one thing if you're losing games to good teams and you're shorthanded. When you're getting smoked by the, the Wizards, who are an abjectly terrible team, and – the Jazz, who, while they have a good coach and Larry Market and some pieces, are not a very good team. And it's the kind of team that, especially after you start 0-4, like you come out in that game, you get a win, and you start to get yourself right. Instead, you're down 30 at halftime. Like, yeah, it's one week of the season. It shouldn't write them off for the whole year. But, like, a, a, there's really only one team in the league you got to look at right now and say there's should be some level of panic. And that that is in Memphis with the way this has started, because this this could not have gone worse. Yeah. So and listen, Zach Kleinman has gotten a lot of credit and deservedly so for the Grizzly success over the last few years, uh, including an executive of the year award. And a lot of that was him finding these jewels at the, you know, uh, lower end of the first round. I mean, Desmond Bain literally totally. in the first round. The guy's up, you know, uh, hadn't been an all star, but is, you know fringe all-star type of player. Um, Santi Aldama has been a huge success story, number 30 overall pick. You know, Brandon Clark, unfortunately hurt now, but great pick in the 20s. But, you know, Zaire Williams was considered a reach. So was Jake LaRavia. So was uh, David Roddy. And when you talk to people around the league, it was kind of like, yeah, boy, you know, they they took those guys a lot higher than we had them on their board. But, man, given the Grizzlies track record like you know maybe they know something we don't or basically nobody wanted to say it was it wasn't a good pick because they had of the respect they had for what the Grizzlies had done but they're not getting much out of those guys and 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 that's a huge problem um you know Marcus Smart's been put in a tough situation obviously he's leading the league by the way in steals per game I was listening he's, he's he's averaging three steals a game um, well, well, listen, their three, three top guys are all playing over 30 minutes a game. They've played all five games. And when they're on the court, their offensive rating is 98.1, which is mm-hmm. catastrophic. And they're getting outscored by 11 points per 100 possessions when those three guys are on the court together for 20 yeah. minutes a game. I mean, this, this isn't like they're not playing with, you know, like the Cavs picked up a win in New York last night with no Jared Allen, no Darius Garland on the second night of a back-to-back against a healthy Knicks team. R.J. Barrett wasn't playing. Everybody else was out there. Like, it's not impossible to win games if you're down some players. And arguably, what? What would we say? Three of their four best players are available, right? Like, 
It's not like they have nobody. Right. Like they shouldn't be getting housed like this in these games. Yeah. And like I said, I think Mark Smart's been put in a tough situation. Um, making the transition from Boston, uh, where he was a huge part of a contender, to Memphis, where, let's be honest, he, it was a mess when he arrived, right? Just because of the way things played out uh, over the last few months, over the last several months with John Morant, uh, as, as well as the whole Stephen Adams situation and all that. But like now he has to be the filling point guard for 25 games, and he has to transition to playing – like an undersized small forward slash backup point guard role. Um, he has to be this leader as he's getting to know guys in the locker room. And, you know, after they, they lose to the Mavericks, which was a game, it wasn't a blowout, but like they, it was never really in doubt. Uh, he, he puts out on his social media, uh, you know, some pictures, whatever. He says, we're getting better every time we step out, one at a time. Guys are working their butt off. Love it. And where are we head? Uh, you know, basically like this rah-rah type of thing. And then they just go out and it is a total failure to compete against a jazz team that's not expected to, to you know, be in the playoff mix. It's like, man. And honestly, like, listen, you got to wonder about the soul of this franchise right now. And who's at fault for that? The face of the franchise who's gotten suspended for the second time in a matter of months and whose career, you know, is like he's threatening to screw up what should be a, a Hall of Fame type of career. Sorry, it's it's hard to have a functional culture when listen, you've this that team, kind of black cloud lingering. Listen, this team, I don't think they'd have gotten to the finals last year, but it was a soft target for them to get to the conference finals. And they were the number two seed. Yeah. So they may have already given that up by the way they got derailed last season. You know, this play in tournament that begins on Friday. They are technically not, uh, not the play-in tournament, in-season tournament. In-season tournament. I just, I was just fine. The Grizzlies at this point might be hoping the play-in tournament starts on Friday, and they had an invite to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they technically got a number one seed because the the pools were drawn mm-hmm. based on last year's standings. They were number two in the West, right? And they were in this pool that I was saying was sort of the pool of death because they were in the same pool as the Suns and the Lakers. They're a number one seed in this thing. They're they're going to walk in zero and five. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. And there's and, some penalties and, 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 well, for, McMahon, for how it's gone. And McMahon mentioned it before, but like, let's go back to last year in New York. Derrick Rose has no bigger fan in the league than Tom Thibodeau, right? I think we would agree. Derrick Rose did not play the vast majority of last season because he wasn't good enough to play. And in five, he's played four games and they missed the fifth game with knee soreness. They're getting outscored by 16 points per 100 with him on the court. Like, Having him as your best, like, I think Marcus is fine. He's, he is, yeah. a, he is actually better at point guard than people have ever given him credit for. And he's always wanted to be a point guard. And when Boston's offense the last couple of years has been at its best, it's been with Marcus at point guard. Um, and obviously he's getting outscored by 11 as is Desmond Bain, which is not great. But when Jaron's out there, their offensive rating is under 98. And that's what I'm saying. By 16 when Tyus was out there with Bain and Jaron Jackson, it worked. No, I understand been that. Out there, it hasn't been working. Well, yeah. Again, I, though, he also with Stephen Adams setting screens and gobbling yes. up offensive rebound. Listen, as much as the focus is on all the mess that John Morant made last year, the suspension, the BS, all that. This was a 500 team last year, essentially after Stephen Adams went out. That was originally supposed to be a three to five week injury. That's going to end up being about a season and a half. That 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 has been a total 
gut punch. And then obviously the culture went into chaos last year. Uh, this team finished their season getting humiliated in the first round, talking all this, we fine in the West, yada, yada, yada. We poke bears, This all this crap. Got spanked by the Lakers, put over their knee and whooped by 40 points to send them home or to, to the club, I guess. Um, and, you know, the they, they attempted to address the culture this season, like the, the Dylan Brooks thing, a lot of that was shot selection. Also, they just wanted to kind of tone everything down. You know, part of bringing in Marcus Smart and Derrick Rose is because they felt like these were veteran voices. They felt like these were guys that John Morant, you know, respected and, and hopefully would be good influences on him. Maybe that's still the case. You know, maybe there is hope. Um, but man, you're talking about like there's massive cultural concerns, an 0 and 5 start, and a possibility so deep that it doesn't matter what happens once job comes back. Yeah, I mean, there's a hole at center with the Stephen Adams injury, and there's a gigantic hole at backup point guard because Derek Rose set aside whatever you think about him as a locker room impact, enough to play. Well, he's and hurt right now, he's got he, his knee soreness. You got to like with his history, that's a worry. But I, my point is, you knew John Morant was missing a third of the season, mm -hmm. right? And you, your solution to that is we're going to have Derrick Rose play for a third of the season when Derrick Rose wasn't good enough to beat out Deuce McBride last year with the Knicks. Like, he's just not good enough. Yeah. And the numbers have borne that out. And, yeah, because he did play some in the preseason. But you don't have Brandon Clark. You don't have Steven Adams. You know, you have Xavier Tillman out there. And look, we saw it this summer. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not a center. Mm -mm. You can't have him playing center. It was no. a disaster for teams. Disaster for the Rivers. And they went out and they signed Zach Biombo. Um, you know, they have an extra spot after five games of job suspension. They'll be there. They'll probably find a way to, you know, keep him after Assuming that. That's yeah. such a massive hole. And listen, Biombo is a functional back up to third string center, but he's not solving all the problems. No. Okay. Another team that is on this list that I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised that we are going to talk about on this list is the Milwaukee Bucks. Now you may say, well, why are you talking about the Bucks? They're two and two. Seems fine. Dames had a couple of big games. They're two and two by the skin of their teeth. They won one game by one point, the opener against Philly, where Joel Embiid had a substandard performance. Doesn't matter. They were contributed to the substandard performance. Embiid was not good in that game. They won by one. But yeah, they, they won. The other mm -hmm. game, they beat the Heat, who are, have not been good at home. And the Heat's third string was on the court in the fourth quarter, and the Bucks had to play until the final minute because they blew a big lead. Here's all I'm going to tell you about the Milwaukee Bucks. One year ago today, Granted, we are super duper early, but one year ago today, the Bucs had played six games. Now they've played four, but they, one year ago today, they played six games. They were ranked number one in the league in defense at that Ooh. point. They were giving up 100 and we're going to round up 103 points per 100 possessions defensively. It was actually 102.7, but let's just call it 103. Today, week and a half into the season, the Milwaukee Bucks rank 29th in the NBA in defense. They're giving up 119 points per 100 possessions, 16 points worse 
over 100 possessions than they were a year ago. Now, granted, it is small sample size. Mm -hmm. The Bucks could have two good defensive performances in a row, and they could be back in the top five. Absolutely, no question. But they are getting destroyed at the rim. This was a team that's whole defensive strategy was under Mike Budenholzer was funnel the ball down to Brooke Lopez and Giannis Tenacumpo. They're two dynamic rim protectors. And, you know, even if it meant giving up those extra three pointers, fine guys, Wednesday night in Toronto, the Raptors came in one and three. They were behind the Grizzlies on offense. Yes, They were, they were dead last 30. in offense. Were. <laughs> not only did they shoot, not only did they put up 130 points on the Bucks. not only did their starting lineup, the Raptors' starting lineup, shoot 71% collectively. 71%. But this is the number I'm talking about. The Raptors had 66 paint points in that game and shot 19 for 22 in the restricted area. I'm sorry. Mm. Nobody came at the Bucks like that at the rim last year when they were the number one overall seed. Through so, four games, the Bucks are giving up 75% shooting, less than five feet from the basket. That's DFL. That DFL. Is with with like you said, with Lopez and Giannis. I mean, hey, I get the Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard swap was a significant downgrade defensively, but I didn't think this, and we'll see how it plays out. I didn't think this team could be bad defensively with Giannis and Lopez. Um, you know, I'm not sure how close Giannis is to kind of peak physical form coming back from the the knee surgery that he had this summer. Maybe there's a factor there. Um, but also, you do have a rookie head coach who's replacing one of the best defensive head coaches in the league in Bud. Um Small sample size, like you said, but man, 130 to the Raptors. Their other loss was 127 to the Hawks. Like, awfully concerning. Yeah, I mean, look, they they have awful perimeter defense across the board. Now, that doesn't explain the 75% of the rim. You would think with Brook and Giannis, it would be better just by default than that. But Dame isn't guarding anybody. Malik Beasley isn't guarding anybody. The Brook, the... Um, Chris Middleton's situation is incredibly concerning. Yes. I mean, there was all sorts of weird answers about him during the preseason. I talked to Chris in September before the start of camp, and he made it seem like everything was fine. He had been working out. He was feeling good. They get to camp. He's not really participating. He's now playing 16 minutes a night and not looking great when he's out there. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's a huge problem because if he's not good enough, they're in real trouble. Their bench looks very creaky across the board and even the, the Giannis and, and Dame combination, which you would expect would be at least humming on offense. I mean, they're scoring 102 points per hundred when they're out there together, which is terrible. So yeah, I, I, I that, think that'll get, I think that'll that, get better. Right. Obviously I don't think they're going to be terrible all year offensively together, but I don't really see a path to the perimeter defense getting better. And when they like Tyrese Maxey uh, tore them apart in the opener. And like, I mean, you mentioned it, Brian, I'm going to be at the game in Boston in a couple of weeks when they play the Celtics, like they have no prayer of guarding a team like Boston with all these guys who can attack them from all over the place. I mean, it has been my biggest concern about them from the jump. 
is I just they they are just really really weak on the perimeter now and maybe Brook and Giannis can make up for that but if they're going to continue to struggle to stop shots at the rim then they're going to be awful defensively well, the thing about Middleton is that he's because they're I mean a 16 or 17 minute minute restriction <laughs> I mean that's about as small of a minute restriction as you're ever going to see right and he is the difficulty is um it's hard to play him in real blocks of time. You know, like this is one of the things that drove um, Zion Williamson crazy when he first came back from his knee injury as his rookie year. They would play him in five-minute segments, and it drove him crazy. Um, and he's still complaining about it to this day um, because there's for an, for an NBA player who's used to getting into a rhythm, it's very hard to play such a short stint, especially when you're used to being a starter. Well, you're almost better off if you just playing him for one half or the other. Well, and to that point, <laughs> just like the, the Kawhi plan. Well, yeah. there was a weird. This was a weird thing last night. So last night, ninety seconds into the second half, uh, Middleton's out of the game at halftime. Seems like he's done. Ninety seconds into the second half, Brooke Lopez comes out. Middleton comes in. Brooke Lopez doesn't come back in the game till there's nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And after the game. Eric name tweeted it out, asked Adrian Griffin, the coach, why did that happen? And he said, I thought Chris was done, but he wasn't. So when I found out he wasn't, I put Chris in and then tried to go small. That's all it was. Brooke didn't do anything wrong, but I thought initially Chris was done with his minutes, but he had a few more. So I wanted to throw him back in there. Like it's also just sort of a sign of being a bit of a mess as a team. If you're coming out of halftime and you're not aware that one of your star players who's on a minutes limit is not done with his minutes limit. Like that's yeah. just well, a weird thing to be happening at all. And, let alone and, meaning Brooke Lopez is punted for 15 minutes of the game. Right. And there's, you know, that there's also been the strangeness of your lead assistant coach and experienced head coach uh, resigning the week before the season started after, you know, some personality conflicts with the, the rookie head coach. That was odd. And it would be nice as far as, Again, I, th I think offensively, Dame and Giannis are so good, that'll be fine. It would certainly be nice to have uh, Terry Stotts around to to kind of help facilitate the, <laughs> the fineness of the offense. Um, Malik Beasley on a, minimum is, on a minimum is your starting shooting guard. That's tough, man. I, I would have gone with Connaughton. I'm, I'm looking at defensive ratings right now and again. Four-game sample size, you know, there can be noise here. Beasley's 125.9. Problem is Conley's the only Connaughton rather is the only guy on the team that's worse. He's 126.7. I don't know, man. I'm kind of regretting my decision to take the uh, the Bucks with the first pick of our win school. <laughs> I was very happy to have to take the Celtics. Well, by not the way, I'm, Malik Malik Beasley is Malik Beasley's 125 defensive rating in 30 minutes a game. I mean, he's not out there in some short stints. I mean, that's that's a lot of time, and that's really bad. And a combination of him and Dame in the backcourt, you ain't stopping anybody with that. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, 
Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Okay, moving on. (laughs) One of my sayings that I've developed over my 20 years as I work on becoming an old man as fast as possible. A wise man once said, when's the best time to plant a tree? Last year. (laughs) When is the best time to start a rebuild? Last year. Last year. (laughs) What is one of the worst things, one of the worst positions to be in, in the NBA? To be in a rebuild and not know you're in a rebuild, okay? Mm-hmm. And with all that said as my preamble, I'd like to discuss the Chicago Bulls, who are two and three. have had a couple of dramatic games. Very easily, by the way, very, very easily could be 0-5. Very easily. Right. Won one of the dumbest games I've ever seen on Friday against the Raptors, and got similarly lucky when the Pacers made several dumb decisions and missed a thousand threes on Monday at home in a game that Indiana easily could have won and Chicago escaped from. The Chicago Bulls, in my opinion, are in a rebuild and they don't know it. Here's the problem. They're not in a rebuild. They've delayed. They're in purgatory. But that's what I'm saying. Yes. They don't think that they are, but they are. They, But they're not bad enough to be in a rebuild. They're not bad enough to benefit from being bad. Well, I mean, maybe. Maybe. They are pretty bad. <laughs> they, are, they are 28th in the league in shooting. They absolutely cannot shoot. Um, uh, Zach Levine, the other night, I wish I had the box score in front of me. He scored 51 I'm, I'm, points. I was about to look up. <laughs> this is one what of the all time great box scores. Hold on. What was his plus minus? I think he was minus 21. This yeah, the, he scored fifty one in a double digit loss to the Detroit. They lost by sixteen. Zach by the way, an efficient fifty one. Fifty one on nineteen to thirty three shooting, yeah. seven to thirteen from three point range. So he had fifty one points, zero assists, and was a minus eight. <laughs> okay, I, I thought it was worse than that. And maybe it just felt worse than that. It was worse than that, I believe, earlier in the game. And then they he scored. He, they went on a bit of a push later and. He cut it down. So he's, he's, he's clear one. The rest of his teammates scored 51 and they lost the game by 16. I like Zach Levine. I liked him as a play. I liked him a lot in the 21 Olympics in Tokyo. All he does is shoot. He does not defend. Yeah. All he does is shoot. Mm -hmm. And he's not a bad guy, but I think it drives his teammates crazy. Well, Well, listen, we talked about, we talked about earlier, the Memphis guys are healthy and not playing well, right? Mm-hmm. So the three guys for the Bulls, the guys they are building this thing around, Zach Levine, Nick Vucevic, DeMar DeRozan, played five games, all five games. They played 107 minutes together, third most on the team. Their offensive rating with three offense-first guys on the court, including a guy who scored 51 in a game, is 98.2. 
They're getting outscored by 16 points per 100 possessions with their three best players together on the court over five games. We talked about the Vucevic trade when they made it, it being this win-now move that didn't move the needle. Um, And obviously it looks horrific now that Franz Wagner is a stud, much less. Listen, man, you, you, that's a, that's a, you could go down this path because. Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr. Both. And they punted on Lowry marketing. Yeah. And and I'm going to give him a bit of a pass on Lowry marketing because nobody, I think nobody, including Cleveland predicted what Lowry marketing was going to be when he ended up in Utah. That's one of the most remarkable turnarounds ever. $60 million because they believe him as a player. I mean, sure. They signed him to a little bit above the the mid level. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll give Chicago a bit of a pass on that one. It's blown up in their face, but like at the time we weren't killing him for that, but yeah, you know, we we damn sure questioned the Vooch trade at the time, right? Um, and then the contract this summer, again, that's the ultimate. Like, you, what are you doing? Like, that's what I'm saying. They're in a rebuild, in and they don't know they're in a rebuild. Well, yeah. and, and here and here's they the don't other know thing. it. Well, here's the other thing. If you're in a rebuild, right? In theory, <laughs> you're going to be trying to have your rebuild go around uh, a guy who is 22 years old and was picked fourth in the draft, right? That seems like a guy you'd want to be building the rebuild around. Uh, McMahon, you were at the game last night in Dallas. How many points did Patrick Williams score in the game last night? Uh, I'd have to look. I only thing I recall him doing off. You're not going to remember a basket. You're not, yeah. not going to remember a basket because he scored zero points. Okay, I remember a shot. I remember a, an open corner three that he missed by approximately 13 feet. So last I mean, night I think in the it game, might have landed out of bounds on the other side of the floor. My God! Last night in the game, in 25 minutes, he took six shots. He took five threes. He missed all of them. For the season, so far, Patrick Williams in five games has scored 20 points total. He is eight for 30 from the field. He is two for 16 from three. And he has more turnovers than made threes and more turnovers than free throws, which he is two for two more you know, turnovers than free throws in five games. That. He's got as many three pointers made as he does zero point games Two. it's it's he amazing. has two zero point games. So he, he has had 20 get... points that, that that is one point for each million dollars. He thought he deserved per year on an extension. Well, I mean, Certainly one that I think Dallas or uh, Chicago should feel good to some extent, at least to more than some extent, that he didn't sign. And look, he is in the starting lineup. I don't. How can he be in the starting lineup? Like this, this is a disaster. I mean, you have to, you have to put whether it's Tory Craig or Alex Caruso or somebody. Like you can't have this guy just continually running out there doing but, nothing. So by the for way, half the game the other night. When they had the home game where they won against Toronto, uh, Alex Caruso gets the steal at one end, goes down at the other end, hits the shot on the baseline to win the game. Right in front Patrick of the Williams, bench. Patrick Williams had to give an interview because as his team exploded in celebration on camera, and I'm not even talking about some side camera that wasn't on screen, on the same camera angle that Alex Caruso hit the shot, you just see Patrick Williams like walk away out of the shot like a zombie. His whole team runs to Alex Caruso to celebrate the win. He walks out of the 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 um the shot like a zombie. I mean, yeah. it made Anthony Davis's um 
move when LeBron LeBron's broke record. the record last year seemed understandable. <laughs> but he, he has to give he has to give he had to give an interview. I yeah. saw it in the athletic. He may have said it to the local other local media members. I saw it in the athletic where he was explaining that the, he was going over to fist bump a teammate and that his teammates understand that he's very subdued. That's his personality type. I'm just saying he had to give an interview to explain why he wasn't supporting a teammate. That's also part of this spectacular first five games for him. Yeah, and by and the way, Lonzo Ball hasn't played in two and a half years. I was going to say it, it, that's it, not their fault. It's that's not, not their fault. Well, you it's know what? Fault. It is though, because if you, if you like, if you're building this whole thing around a guy who has extensive knee issues and then he has knee issues, like that is your fault. Wow. Like well, it's a I'm buyer not, be, that's a, it's I not, mean, it's not their fault. He's been hurt, but. The yeah, but look at our record when Lonzo is healthy, dude. Like that's yes. history, and yes. probably unfortunately never happening again. So, like that is irrelevant to the Bulls' conversation in the here and now. The Bulls' conversation in the here and now, like you said, Wendy, is you're rebuilding. Act like it. And well, here's the thing. Like, By the way, the uh, Kobe White, who I like as a player, I've liked since he came in the league. <laughs> they signed him to a $30 million extension. He's off to a miserable start. Yeah. I mean, he's well. not a point guard. He's a, he's a sixth man off the bench. He's playing no. point guard. That's not going well at all. Here, here's, I'm just going to say this. DeMar DeRozan has not extended his contract. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the yep. reason he hasn't extended, I mean, they talked about it, but they can't agree on an extension. I, I don't know if it's money or years or whatever. This is what I'm talking about. Make a decision. Either extend DeMar DeRozan or trade him. Well, the fact know, that he's still there. It's an indication. They, that's what I'm saying. They're, they don't understand they're in a rebuild. Let me ask you this. It's, it's coming down the pike and it's going to slap them right in the face. Well, it's, well, and that, and that's no why I say that's why I say to McMahon's point, it, it might not be a situation. It might be a situation where they sort of muddle their way to 40 wins and they're not no, bad no, enough to no be way. in a rebuild. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm just saying, I don't. Chris Russo here. This team wins 40 games. I will be stunned. Yeah, there, I, don't, I, don't, there, I don't think there's any way. No, no, I don't think that's probably happening either, a 30-something win team. So they're probably right. picking, what, 8, 9, 10? They are right. look, in purgatory. They, they, can, they, can, they can look in the mirror and deny it all they want. They can produce any sort of reams of data. They can bring out their whiteboard and present anything different. This is a team that's in a – you know what the worst part about it is? They haven't even done the hard part yet. The hard part's tearing it down. Well, the I hard part's building it up, but have they haven't the even begun off. the process yet, but it's already happening. Well, let, the ground underneath them is, is say, hollowed out. Let's hypothetically say Bulls management listens to this podcast and is inspired to begin the teardown process. DeRozan in the last year of his contract, obviously the guy is a uh, a, a scorer, you know, a, a vet with a good reputation in terms of character and all that. You know, I think that you can get something, well, I don't know, a pick. So, you know, I can get something of value there. Let me ask you this. Who do you think you could get more value for in the trade market? And I actually had this conversation with somebody last night. Zach Levine, with the numbers that he puts up, but also that contract and the flaws that you discussed, or Alex Caruso, who, boy, you're talking about one of the best on-ball defenders in the league, a very reasonable contract, a guy who – <laughs> How much could a Milwaukee? Should, not they should they trade them. Asset. They should trade them both. Like, there's contenders that would definitely give up stuff for Alex Caruso. I'm sure he's exactly the kind of guy that teams would be wanting to try to get on that contract and with the impact he can have. And this team stinks. Like, it makes sense to trade Alex Caruso now because his value is only going to go down as he 
uh, gets a little bit older. And I mean, he's a guy who plays through a bunch of injuries. He only ever plays like 66, five games a year because he plays so hard. But like, yeah, they should trade both of them. I wonder Absolutely. if Caruso has more trade value than, than Levine he might. because of the contracts. He might. I mean, it, it, it. you only need one team to really believe in a guy like Zach to give up a decent amount for him. But look, like, I mean, he's sort of the guard equivalent of his old teammate in Minnesota, right? Like, both those guys are on very large contracts and are very talented offensive players <laughs> you know what, who have big-time questions about him. The Minnesota Timberwolves are the number one defense in the league at the moment. They beat the best <laughs> out of the Nuggets last night. That's right. Sure did. So, they've had they, the, the Timberwolves are a team. Their record is two and two, similar as the Bucks. Not similar, it's the exact same. It is similar. The, it's not wrong. The readout, <laughs> the readout on the two teams is quite different. I'll just and by the way, like Towns hasn't made a shot yet. He's shooting terribly. I don't have his numbers in front of me, but that's another topic for another day. If Minnesota finishes um, league first in defense, they'll feel pretty good. I know. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just saying. Uh, you know what, though? They've got three elite defensive players in the starting lineup. Gobert with his three defense player of the year awards. Anthony Edwards and, and uh, Jaden McDaniels. They do have three absolute like top-end defensive players. Both wings and the, and the big man. Anthony Edwards can kill you on the perimeter with those arms. Kill you. So, uh, okay. Next up on the hit parade. <laughs> um, hey, feel good, feel good edition of the Hoop Collective. <laughs> the Miami Heat are one and four, and they've played a tough schedule so far. Um, they had a three game road trip where they played Boston, Milwaukee, and who else was on that road trip? They played Minnesota remember? the second night of a back to back when Jimmy didn't play and Bam right. didn't play against Milwaukee. Which they got permission for. They asked permission for Jimmy Butler not to play, and they were granted a reprieve on the player participation policy. Hey, just, just don't ask. Uh, don't ask Eric Spolster about it. Spose not talking about injuries anymore the rest of the season. He is Spose in a bad mood, and I get it. Uh, Tyler Hero, back from injury, is averaging a career high twenty six points a game, firing shots in from left and right, and they rank as the number twenty four offense to this point. They are not scoring. They were not scoring last year, mm-hmm. even when times were good. They were not scoring. They are really not scoring now. And Tyler's gunning is not helping them on balance. He may help them in individual possessions. They're in the middle of the pack defensively, but what's happening to them right now, they can't they can't score. Their offense is just withered. You know. Jimmy's off to a slow had, start. Yeah, they had a tough schedule, but then they went home and took it off on the chin from the Nets Wednesday night. And look, the the Heat are famous for improving as the season goes along. Mm -hmm. But they have a lot of improvement to do because it's not not, not off to the great start there. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it it shakes out there over time. I think think they'll be better. They have had a very difficult start. They should have won the game Wednesday night against Brooklyn. They blew a lead. Pretty big lead late and lost. I mean, if they win that game, obviously we're talking a five-game sample size. It looks a lot different if they win that game. But they barely beat Detroit in the opener. Needed sort of a miracle to escape blowing a lead in that game. And look, last year, this team was a 500-ish team the entire season. And, you know, Max Truce and Gabe Vincent couldn't hit a shot during the regular season. And then those two and Caleb Barton went incendiary in the playoffs. And Jimmy was great. And they won three series and had a remarkable run to the finals, but the 82 game sample there 
told one story and the 16 game sample told a far different story. And at least so far, it's looking like the 82 game sample was more accurate. And there's a reason why the Heat were trying to get Dame and then trying to get Drew Holiday. Like, I think they knew they needed to get a guy on the perimeter and they didn't get either of them. And so they're, you know, the Heat always are ready for another guy to come down the pipe. I'm sure someone else will at some point. But at the end of the day, they are what they are, and it's a middling team. And that's well, what and, they look like. And and they're they're march to the finals after a mediocre regular season. And kind of, I mean, we just talked about the, the Bulls being such a mess. The Bulls were up with what three minutes left in the second playing game yes. against the uh, against the Heat. Yes. Um, and then they then they beat the Bucs, they beat the Celtics, you know, march to uh, the NBA Finals. I don't think that necessarily, like, incentivized the Heat's vets to really care about the regular season. And that's a dangerous – it's a dangerous uh, mentality to think, all right, kind of coast through the regular season, come playoff time, we'll, we'll get it together. That's That's a tough way to live. They, you know, the thing about it is they are definitely upwardly mobile in terms of what they can do trade-wise, but they don't historically make in big in-season moves. I mean, they have like a couple of times. Um, I think they traded for Sean Dragic. Goran Dragic, right? Um, so it could happen, but historically they've done their big work in the off-season, mm-hmm. and what they basically rely on is internal improvement which they have a immaculate record of so um and their internal improvement got paid by other teams true but they've always been able to find other guys um to do that um so um before we go uh i think also basically i think bontemps also talk about the knicks so he keeps watching plays at their game against the Cavs on Wednesday night. I'm not as worried about the Knicks as Bont. They're, they're two and three. I'm not as worried about the Knicks as Bontemps might be. They're number two in defense so far. Um, so they're getting, you know, Thibodeau-style defense. I'm sure that Bontemps is going to bring up uh, Julius Randle, and I will let you say Bontemps about Julius Randle. Um, but I just want to give – this incredible stat from our guy Stats Williams at ES uh, at um, Stats and Information. This is a um, this is this is one for the books right here. Hold on, I want to make sure I get it exactly right. And I just got signed out of our system. <laughs> Hold on, one <laughs> I, I feel like we're sitting in like a '64 Impala with hydraulics with your camera, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> By the way, I was in LA recently. We're we're on one of Devin Booker's rides here. (laughs) (laughs) Low rider, low rider featuring Wendy. When I type my. uh... You're pounding. All right, sorry. All right, here we go. After 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 a lot happened. Okay. Okay. He went three of 15 from the field um, against the Cavs in the second night of their home and home on Wednesday night, the one the Cavs won. He's shooting 27.6% this season. That is the worst through five games by any player with at least 75 attempts. You're talking about a lot of attempts. 
since Jim Jackson in 2000. So he's off to basically the worst volume shooting start to a season in 23 years. In this century. In this century. Well, 2000 was this century. Um, well, I guess the 2000, think... 2001 season. So yeah, that would have been the, the 2000, right. 2001 season. So yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, mo- that's mainly what I was going to bring up. I mean, I do think the Knicks will generally be fine. They have hit, missed some shots early. They had a fairly tough schedule early on, but again, they're playing the Cavs without Darius Garland, without Jared Allen, second night of a back-to-back at home chance to win the season series against them in the first week of the season, uh, against a team that could be fighting with receding later. And Julius was horrendous for the season. So far, he is two for 16 in the restricted area which seems impossible given you're talking about one of the biggest and most strongest. Yeah. One of the biggest and strongest guys in the league. When do they play the bucks? (laughs) The bucks on Friday in the first game of the in-season tournament. So we will Uh, see how that looks. An immovable Uh, force meets an impenetrable object or however you say that. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, I mean, he's seven for 23 on shots within five feet of the basket. He can't hit a three. And Julius has had this very up and down, like mm-hmm. awesome one season, bad the next, awesome one season, bad the next. We're in the bad season in that up and down. So, I mean, maybe that will continue. But the Knicks, the, the way the Knicks are built, they cannot afford to have Julius Randle just be bad. Like he, they, they need his offense on a nightly basis. They're not a team that's going to put up a buck 35 on a regular basis. Like they're grinding. They're going to grind out games and he needs to be good. And if he is playing like he did last night and not hitting any shots and looking like a mess offensively, then they are going to run into a lot of trouble. And it's it definitely is something bear, that bears watching. And it'll be very interesting to see how he looks going up against Giannis on Friday because that, in theory, should be another pretty tough matchup for him. Now, like we talked about, the Bucks are giving up 75% shooting at the rim. So maybe that'll change. But certainly hasn't been a good start to the season for him. And it was, a, I think, a very, very bad loss for the Knicks, given what that game had on the table for him that they let get away at home on Wednesday night. Well, the good news is it's a pretty chill media market. So I'm sure there's not like any overreacting or, you know, any kind of uh, external pressure being applied. Well, I mean, look, it was interesting. I mean, he's obviously not in the market, but you even have people like Charles Barkley on TV the other night after they beat the Cavs by 25 with those guys out saying, Ah, this team isn't going anywhere. They got to trade for somebody. Well, and that you know. is like, what's the conversation about the Knicks all off season? It's hey, you know they they they've got these picks. Like it was, you know, can you know can they get Giannis and then Giannis has extension? What's up with Embiid? And like they're, it's all about who's the star they're going to get. Well, that's that's all great, but that means for the majority of the players on the roster, you know, it, it's it's kind of saying, my hey, am I going to be here? After the trade deadline next summer, like there, that uncertainty isn't necessarily easy to deal with when uh, you're the one it could affect. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, on Yeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Well, the NCAA tournament is beginning on Friday. So as a review, um, and we'll be talking about it, obviously, over the next month. Um, but over the next four weeks, um, there's six different groups. Um, three groups made three groups made up of uh, five, you know, six groups of five, three, uh, e- three from each conference, you know, three in the East, three in the West. Um, you play um, the other four teams in your group. Uh, two of the games are at home. Two of the games are on the road. Um, they are played the next what uh, Tuesdays and was it the is how many of the next? They're, they're all the games are on Friday and Tuesday uh, just, over the next four see weeks. These, these cool courts, then you know it's an in season tournament game. Yeah, which I'm going to be honest with you, like i understand what the league did what the league wants to do is they want you as soon as you see a game that is an in-season tournament game they want you to recognize that it's different which is why they've come up with all these court different court designs and like i'm never a designer i'm the person who like somebody will show a new pair of shoes and i'll be like are these good or bad what does the world think about these because sometimes they say they're fire and i'm like i didn't know sometimes they say they're awful i'm like oh they look fine to me i don't know the courts kind of look cool to me. I don't know, but the, the the problem is, is that the fact that they need to do this is an admission from the league that right now it's style over substance. Now, at some point, and maybe it's in two weeks, maybe it's in two years, maybe it's in eight years, they're hoping that it'll be substance over style. But whenever you try to create tradition, mm-hmm. there's going to be stumbling. Traditions happen organically, by and large. Sometimes they happen due to events that take place in the court. Sometimes they happen due to region. You know, you have traditional rivalries and stuff that happen, but almost, almost all organic or spatial. Um, they're not created. They didn't create Cleveland and Pittsburgh and then decide to make them football rivals or create Oklahoma and Texas and decide to make them rivals. It just happened over the course of decades. And this is sort of a mishmash, mishmash of these groups you know, the only, you know, probably one of the only interesting things in terms of this group play is that Sacramento and Golden State are in the same group. They obviously played in the playoffs last year. They've, they've staged two tremendous games early this season. It was just another one point game on Wednesday night that the Warriors won with the Clay Thompson shot right at the end. They are in the same group and play each other. I think they play each other the last game of their group play. I think it's on November 28th. That potentially could be whether they advance or not. That could be kind of good, but that would only be good because of their rivalry from the playoffs earlier this year, not because of the in-season tournament itself. So you're starting off asking a lot, trying to create tradition. And the fact that they have to create these courts where the trophy is prominently displayed is so that you know what the trophy looks like and that you know you're watching something different. You're not going to, like if I just turned on an NCAA game, even though they play with specialty courts too, 
you probably know the difference between an NCAA tournament game by watching it versus a November, you know, non-conference. Well, you know game. because of the time of the year. True. There's a bunch of different reasons why you know. In this case, but there is also a giant sign on the court that says March Madness. I know, but before there was a sign that said March Madness, you still knew. Okay. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. For sure. I'm not arguing. Um, all right. But anyway, so as a quick, you know, rehash, even to me, six groups, the winner of each group uh, advances to the quarterfinals. Every team this year only has 80 games on their schedule. Yeah. These count okay. as regular season games, which I think is, is critical because right. if it was like non-regular season, totally separate, nobody would have cared. I agree. So they're regular season games. When the Bucks and Knicks play, which is one of the featured games of the first uh, night, that's a game on ESPN, that game counts as well. Um, and uh, so anyway, six the, the, the winners of the six, uh, the six groups advance to the quarterfinals, which haven't, they're going to be on December 4th. If you don't advance, you get two new games scheduled on your on your schedule. I think on December sixth and eighth. Right now, everybody's holding their arenas open on December sixth and eighth, but they don't know who they're going to play. Um, if they don't advance, then they get two fresh games, one home, one road, and they have they get their eighty two games. You know who loves um, that? Video coordinators around the league just love not having any clue what might be on the schedule. That how about the travel planners who have, do don't know oh, if yes. they got a book of flight? Well, I, that, a book there's definitely some. Hotels. There's definitely especially in like New York in December. Uh, we don't need to get for NBA teams. And find the Knicks. Let's say the Knicks and Nets both don't make the, and they are hosting games the first week of December. Teams are going to be paying crazy rates in New York to get into those hotels. Yeah. So anyway, um, then two teams of the wildcard teams when one in each conference who has the best record, there's gotta be a whole host of tiebreakers. I don't know what they are. Um, it's there's not that many tiebreakers. There's one loss record. And then if they have the same one loss record, it's point differential. That's, that's the, the end of the list. Okay. So. Okay. It's well, pretty look, strong. pretty sure there's only four games being played. There's a good That's chance right. there's going to be some ties. No, for sure. I mean, there probably will be multiple teams with three and one records, you would think, and then it will come down to point differential. And then, okay, if, well, uh, then if in that case, these coaches legal, better win. coach to the to the buzzer on all these games, right? Because well, I think after point differential, if it's if there's a time point differential, I think they should each pick one guy and play a game of horse. <laughs> <laughs> no knockout. I can't sit around for a whole game of horse knockout. <laughs> That's the way it is. Um, yeah, so the, the the groups were established based on last season's records. So like I said, the Grizzlies are technically a one seed and the Lakers are technically a three seed. Um, but then they were in the same group. I think they might be in Las Vegas. Oh, that should be a fun weekend. <laughs> the quarterfinals will be at uh, regular NBA arenas and the semifinals. Finals and finals are at um, T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, December 7th, 7th and 9th, 9th, I believe. Yeah. 7th and 9th. Hmm. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it uh, it all shakes out. I think it, I think it's going to be a fun thing. I'm I'm more bullish on it than most. I think I'm I think it's going to be an interesting wrinkle in the season. I think if it causes people to care slightly more and what's clearly the least interesting part of the season from an interest and engagement standpoint, I think that's a win for the league. And 
I have a story that's running today on our website, setting up the in-season tournament. And I talked to a bunch of players and coaches about it. And I, I have to admit, I was a little surprised at the amount of excitement and enthusiasm that I heard about it. I thought there would be, I, I went into this sort of assuming there would be a lot of shrugging of shoulders and apathy. And I think people, I think guys in the league players are generally intrigued by the idea. Um, and I, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody from a team yesterday. You said they had a couple of players asking them sort of what, what are, what are the rules of this thing? How does it work? Like they were kind of into it. Um, and look, I also don't think it's a, don't think it's lost on these guys that there's a chance to make some money. Exactly. I mean, I asked Tobias Harris mm -hmm. and he was, he just started laughing when I asked if there'd be interest in, you know, playing this thing out. And he was like, look, man, it's a lot of money at stake. And, you know, Dame Lillard talked about the fact that it's basically doubling a two-way player salary for the year. That was what he was excited about. Like there's, there's some real, talk about, real stakes in that sense. When you talk about the money in this thing, you know, 500 for the winner, 500 grand for the, for the winners per player. Right. And then that is, Hey, that's a nice chunk of change, especially, you know, the guys on the lower end of the roster. But if this thing is successful, if this thing is something that the NBA is able to sell in the upcoming that and the upcoming TV uh, negotiations, that's where the money is, and that's, that's right. Where, like for the for the max guys, hey, if it's bumping your max up a chunk of change, you, you know, for the minimum guys, if it's bumping that minimum up, like that's that's where the smart players should really be invested in the success. Well, I agree with you. Smart players understand that this being a success could have instantaneous ramifications because they're not selling. They're selling it now. The TV negotiations are now. Mm -hmm. They're going to be probably done between now and a year from now, next summer, next fall. If somebody wants to buy this thing, they're going to maybe base it on how this goes. Yep. And if you if you really play the care, uh, if you play like you know that and you want to grow the pie, selling this thing for a billion dollars could absolutely be a huge thing. And not just the TV rights, but the naming rights and all that stuff. Right. That said... Over the last seven or eight years, uh, basically since the NBA got the big injection of money in 2016, what have players, even smart players, done to show that they put NBA business first? It's extremely rare. The reason they have to come up with these rules about resting is because teams and players aren't putting NBA business first. Um, well, by you the way, argue, maybe they shouldn't. I'm just well, telling you, yeah. if you expect that all of a sudden to change, I, you know, I would just say that's not the way things have been going. Well, we, there was obviously a lot of interest in whether Kawhi Leonard or Paul George would play both halves of this back to back, which they did against the Lakers on national TV. The national TV game certainly falls under the new policy. Kawhi played 40 minutes, I think 41 minutes in the overtime game looked great. Um, but for example, Jimmy Butler, we talked about earlier, sat out second night of a back to back in Minnesota on Saturday, which again, he's in his mid thirties. I get why they did it, but that's a thing. Zion Williamson is going to sit out the second half of a back to back tonight for the Pelicans against Detroit at home. Again, like not a national TV game. Zion has the definition of a serious injury history. I get it, but it's not like guys sitting out is going to go away. And, and there, certainly this policy, as we have discussed, you know, McMahon found the rules and sent them to us, I believe yesterday there's, an exception at the bottom for this policy exclude includes exceptions for injuries, personal re reasons, and pre-approved back-to-back restrictions based on a player's age, career workload, 
for serious injury history, which certainly covers a lot of stuff. So, by the way, Lawrence Frank, uh, the president of the Clippers, he had a press conference on Wednesday to talk about the James Harden trade, and yeah. he got asked about Kawhi and Paul George playing in back to backs. And uh, this was his quote The Kawhi and PG rest thing is kind of bull bleep. But he didn't say bleep. There's a difference between injuries and rest. These guys work too hard for their reputations to be impacted. I mean, well, so, I mean, what what is he? What, what we're not? What are we supposed to hey, have Lawrence Frank say? He's on what the is record. He supposed to do? I'm I know. But what's you. he supposed to say? He said what he's supposed to say. No comment. I mean, come on. Our eyes. Yeah, I mean, come on. That's he's doing his job. I agree, and we're doing. Let Lawrence this. celebrate. Let's Lawrence celebrate his trade. Like Steve Ballmer was celebrating the Intuit Dome on the broadcast with our guy George Sedano last night. By the way, I was watching that game with the sound off uh, last night while I was, I was out and saw it. And I just saw Steve Ballmer pumping his arms and waving his fists. And I figured he was talking about James Harden. Then I saw the clip today. And it was all about the Intuit Dome. I was like, oh, okay. He we're talking is, about the arena. He honestly, and like he could be right, but like this, the wall, his 51 rows of uninterrupted stands. He has talked about this thing for five years, his 51 rows. I'm fascinated to um, see this arena. It, it's I've heard more about it than any arena in the history of the league. I mean, it's, it's, I'm genuinely curious to see what the thing is going to look like. I'm a little upset about the Harden trade. And the, it's not the Harden trade. that. Has <laughs> yeah, it's what's the, the issue? It's the podcast that followed it. Wendy, mm. you had <laughs> Tim's on without me. Mm. I thought the Tim's were a package deal. And I told you, boys. I know how T.O. feels now. <laughs> Romo and Witten were just huddled up in the hotel room, drawing up plays behind his back. Listen, when, when the Kyrie debacle in Dallas happens inevitably, I'm sure there will be multiple pods when you are on without me, I'm sure. Let's, Kyrie- let's just just pulling the curtain back. I just want you to know, McMahon, I mean, this isn't being recorded. It won't be on the podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> I brought up this concern to Bontemps because I wanted Bontemps oh. on the podcast because there was nobody at the company who knows the 76ers better than Bontemps. And he's Bontemps has been there in training camp. He was there for their opener. He was there for a bunch of their games. He was there the game the mm-hmm. night before the night of the trade, the night before the trade. Mm-hmm. He was in Philly when we did it. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, do you think McMahon will be okay with it? And Bontemps said that. Well, listen, if Kyrie would getting traded, you would want uh, McMahon on. And that was a compelling argument. And well, listen, he was booked. You can't, you can't spell Bontemps without an M and an E. Well, I, I was <laughs> it was more it was more to say also to not be uh mean to our guy Kevin Pelton, who he'd already asked to be on and like can't be booting the machine to have you come on. No, can't be booting the machine. Another M and E in the in that. Um <laughs> two big winners in that Harden deal. James Harden, Sam Presti, baby. The Oklahoma well, three State. big winners. This guy right here, <laughs> big winner, big. Winner. Yeah, listen, I know Wendy doesn't. Wendy doesn't like that uh, that Thunder involvement, but I'm just telling you. Now they're down to only 14 first round picks. Everybody's praising the Thunder for this match. I got a lot oh of I got a lot of comments about Bryant's uh, take on that trade. Did you, oh, McMahon? Yeah. I assume you did. Here's my take. Here's my take. The L.A. Clippers traded the same pick twice for two different star players. No, Hello? but they didn't. They didn't. That because the pick. Oh, the oh but they did. Most oh, likely, but they did. Thunder's they own traded pick. the same pick. No, they for, didn't. 
for for Paul George that they traded for James Harden. Yes, we, they did. We will revisit this they traded at the, the end same of the 26-27 season. We certainly I've got will. A feeling that swap when Kawhi and Harden and, and Paul George and Russell Westbrook are going to probably be chilling somewhere on a on a beach. I got a feeling that swap uh, years down the road here could be pretty juicy. True or false? Four slash five years away, an unprotected pick is more valuable than an unprotected. Okay, swap. here first of all, the pick. True or false? That's not. It, it's the, not an. It's, it's not a, a question, question you can answer in a vacuum. It's a bad. It absolutely is. It's not no, an it's un- not. Absolutely is. Well, there's never any vacuums in life. The least if this, if, if this was a, your own. honor permission to treat the witness as hostile. You will answer the Go question yes it. or no. Go for Is it. Is an unprotected pick or an unprotected it's, swap more available four or five years away? In different in, situations, case, both things are both valuable. things are more valuable. That's the answer. And it's not an your unprotected. Honor, I request pick. that the witness answer yes or no. That's I, not I a yes or no question. The, I request that the prosecutor ask a question that makes sense. It's the least favorable. You guys would be thrown right out. It's the least yes, of favorable course. of if three I picks. I could predict the future of yes, if I could predict the future, I would make the best pick trades of all time. Listen, Brian, if the if the Thunder give up a lottery pick in that trade, it means they have two lottery picks. And they'll have a swap the following year to the potentially worst give case them scenario. another lottery pick. Now, I will say the 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 Rockets pick is top 4 protected. So like the worst case scenario is the Thunder draft Number one overall, have to give up number two and then don't get the Rockets pick. That's the worst case scenario. The most likely scenario is they're getting two picks in the pretty early in the middle of the, the draft. Of the draft, and they're giving up something in the twenties because I've got a feeling the Thunder would be pretty good by twenty six, twenty seven. True or false? The Clippers traded the same pick for two different star players. Is that true or false? False, false. Because the pro- I'm sorry, did they trade their twenty twenty six first round pick? They didn't, Paul George. they didn't they didn't necessarily did they trade, trade their, their 2026 first round pick, pick for Paul George. For Paul George, yes. Did they trade their 2026 first round pick for James Harden? No, not necessarily. Not, not necessarily. The Thunder necessarily. are trading a pick. From... It could be the Thunder's pick. It could be the hey, it could be the Rockets pick. It could be the Rockets pick. Maybe the maybe maybe phase two will turn into phase three and they'll be winning 60 games by then. Yeah. Listen, man. Clutch City. Here's the thing. Here's a piece of information that we don't have. Only the Clippers have it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did the Clippers have another way to get a first round pick without giving up that swap? Well, yes, they had their own pick they could trade. Well, I know, but that pick wasn't, they weren't trading that pick. So well, did they have I another mean, way because to get they a first got, round pick? Because they trading? got another one. Because they got That's another what I'm pick. Saying. Listen, I know. But all I know is the Clippers, this the Clippers' value was tremendous. All on, these on, years on that later, transaction. All these years later, Sam Presti finally won a James Harden trade. So well, listen, here's what we do know. Sam Presti is just charitable beyond words. And he, he, is not. he doesn't he, he never maximizes leverage. He never gets well, listen, stuff out of deals ever. No. Hey, here's was, the you thing. know what he did? He said, hey, thanks for SGA. Thanks for Jalen Williams. I'm going to give you guys an out. To come. Let me do you a solid. That's, that's right. I'm going to do you a solid. Yeah. I'm saying, listen, here's what I'm saying. The, the, the Thunder, when they enter negotiations on picks, are like no other team out there because yeah. of the portfolio picks. So they maybe... have they have a quantity slash quality problem. They are highly incentivized to make a trade that improves the quality of their picks and reduces the quantity because 
of the of the of the quantity that they have. They have a conundrum self-created that puts them in position to do that. And that's what that did what they did. I, I would they, impress they, quality, they made a quality you know, for quantity trade. But but I in would, on balance, trading a first for a swap undefined four and five years away is great value for the Clippers. Period. I mean, no, it's I mean, it's it's not that simple. We'll see, it's brother. not it's just not that simple if we're, as we've talked about privately since we're now doing this publicly on the pod for most teams it would not make sense to do the trade from that standpoint because for most teams like for the Sixers for example who are picked short getting a pick even if it's a pick that's probably going to be in the back half of the first round is better than having a swap from a trade perspective for the Thunder I don't think they have a quantity over quality problem. I think they have the flexibility to approach deals in the manner they choose to. Like, for example, when they went and got the team. 11th pick. They, no, they, they have a well, quantity no, you can't. quality luxury. That's right. Like when they went and got the 11th pick in fine. the draft to draft. That's Yusuf fine. That's, that's, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. They draft. They used protected, not so great picks to get a higher quality pick and draft a player in the lottery they liked. In this scenario, they traded a pick that's probably going to be in the 20s on probabilities. Obviously, you don't know. It, maybe it'll maybe everything will go haywire and it'll be 10th, but they probably traded a pick in the 20s for a swap that has much higher upside. That is that is what they did. So in this, in this scenario, yes, the value it. is good for I, them. I, the value for the Clippers was excellent when they made this trade. They made an excellent. Well, we'll trade. see. We'll see that. I mean, maybe or maybe they'll give up a swap like the Nets did, and it'll be the number one pick in the draft. Maybe it you will. See be. how I just played the teal role and caused big time team chemistry. Just <laughs> throwing a bomb. There's no, there's no team chemistry issues. Oh, I, no, I've gotten many comments about. Trust, uh, trust me, I've got issues. Well, I mean, you always uh, have issues. I, I, got, I got issues like Draymond did with Jordan Poole. Well, by the way, one thing. This we got to end on this. So yesterday. Yesterday, Draymond Green, after now they have a great win. Clay Thompson hits a game win in three or a game win in jumper to uh to beat the Kings um in Sacramento. Great mm-hmm. win for them. Great win for them. Draymond Green, after the game, is talking about team chemistry last year. Talking about team chemistry with the with the Warriors. And this is what he had to say. Quote, last year, we had an awful team as far as chemistry goes. Last year was horse bleep. Hard Mm. to come to work. Not fun. This year, you see the joy on guys' face when they come in the building. This is a group that likes being together. To say with a straight face that the chemistry on the team last year was bad when you punched your teammate in the face in training camp is one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen anyone say. In a press well, conference. his chemistry is great because now he's got the $100 million contract. That's right. Last year was the guy he punched who had the $100 million contract. He got thrown out the That's door. Right, Life is great. Listen, and the Jordan he got his $100 million, the other guy got this. thrown out. And the Jordan Poole like, <laughs> is taking place right now with the Washington Wizards. I mean, this is, we talked last last time we were on. I, I was on. Sorry, you guys were going to pot between <laughs> But we talked last time I was on about the corner three turnaround of the bench. Oops, it missed. About the lean-in pose on a three that was blocked. And then last night, they're down 20-some-odd to the Hawks. 
This dude threw a lob off the backboard to Kuzma down 20-something. Jordan Poole is the most hilarious basketball player in the NBA right now. The chemistry of the Wizards is great. I don't, I don't care what anybody says. It's good enough to be the Grizzlies. Right. By the way, before we go, I recognize that the Thunder did what's good for them. I understand why they did it. However, when you trade a first-round pick for a swap and it's used as a first-round pick in a deal, you, you've done very well. I think we can agree with that. Can we agree with that? I would say this trade made sense for everyone. That's what I would say. I think it was a good trade for everybody involved. It was good for the Clippers. It was good for the Sixers. And it was good for the Thunder. Because every team had a different thing they needed. Also, there will not be, just to clean something up, there will not be um, IST, in-season tournament games next Tuesday because it's election day. There's no games. Oh, well. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Bontemps. Thank you to Jackson. Thank you to Daniel Stanzek, who's a fill-in producer, looking over Jackson's shoulder like somebody I'd be looking over your shoulder, McMahon, at all times. Mm. Thank you, Snoop Collective. We'll talk to you next week. Adios, amigos. 